I was spending all of my time to help somebody else build their dreams instead of spending my time building my own. And I think that's a good kind of way to jumpstart you into, are you doing something to build for you and your family and what's important for you? The corporation does not care one lick about you. Your individual boss probably does, and then maybe the initial people around you, but they're not the ones making the decisions that really matter and will decide if you're gonna be there or not. And so when I realized that, that there was no loyalty to this corporation, that I really need to figure out how to be loyal to myself, that's when I decided to take serious action. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Paul David Thompson. What would you do if one day you found yourself laid off and you hadn't created financial freedom for yourself through real estate? Well, Paul found himself in that situation one day. He was two years into his three-year plan to create financial freedom through real estate investing, but he hadn't got there and he found himself laid off from his high-earning corporate career. He had to make some tough decisions to keep himself on the right track and create that financial independence through real estate. And he actually managed to accelerate himself to financial independence and well beyond that point and build considerable wealth with real estate investing. But that's a very important question for those of you who are on your way to creating financial independence. You're still working busy professionals, but aren't quite there. What would you do if you found yourself laid off one day? Well, Paul has the answers because he's been exactly in that place. Today, we dig into the investing strategy that he used when he was a busy professional, how he found and made the time in his busy, busy schedule to do deals when he was still working, and then decisions that he made after he was laid off to accelerate his path to financial independence. We dig into lessons for treating your real estate investments like a business so that you can focus on the highest value activities that you should be working on and so much more. A lot of great knowledge in this one. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and to date I've acquired, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, our guest is Paul David Thompson. Let's go. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your journey of creating freedom through real estate and getting pushed out of the nest a little bit faster than you had uh, <laughs> intended. But for our listeners out there who don't know about what you're up to today, can you tell us about what you're doing today? And then we'll rewind the clock. Sure. So I'm a real estate investor, started off with single family, and now I'm more doing a commercial space. And then I also spend time managing my, my assets and then fundamentally spend a fair amount of time talking about concepts around real estate and how to raise money and how to uh, do all that while also ma maintaining your sanity and having a reasonable lifestyle design. Nice, nice. So before you reached the stage of freedom that you're in today, you had to get started with real estate investing. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to that point where you hadn't done that first deal. You wanted to get into real estate investing. Yep. When was that? What was the first move that you made? Yeah, I was in the corporate world and I really wanted to buy my way out of having to go to work anymore, <laughs> or at least go to a, a work for a 
a third party job where I wasn't the boss. So I used real estate as a way to escape my day job. And so in 2015, I started buying single family houses here in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I live and still operate, or where I still live here and operate in, largely in Dallas, Texas from the commercial side. But at the time I was doing single family. I just wanted to like figure out if this even was the thing that made sense for me. And so I bought like a $30,000 house. So it was like three bedroom, one bath, like 800 square feet, tiny little house. And it ran for like 650 at the time. And I still have that house. And that was just an opportunity for me to kind of prove out that, okay, this is something I can do. I can buy something. I can fix it up. I can get it rented out. And then I later on refied it. And I thought this is something I could, I could do at scale. And so I just started buying single family houses like that at a pretty good clip for several years. Wow. So a $30,000 house frightens me. I mean, that is incredibly, <laughs> incredibly cheap. I can't imagine what you're going to find, you know, behind the walls in a house that cheap, yeah. if there are even walls. It was eight years ago. So in, I live in a relatively low income area or low or co low cost of living area. And so now that same house might be worth eighty, ninety thousand dollars yeah, it, it definitely, at the time, it was probably worth 55 and I got a pretty good deal on it, uh, and it needed a fair amount of work. I put about $10,000 into it, but it was, I mean, it's in a classy area for sure. Not terrible neighborhood, but it's certainly lower income. Yeah, yeah. so you definitely want to be, be aware of that. That's those sort of the implications of that for sure. Okay, so a lot of folks who get started with those deals like that have a number in their head of how many of these deals I need to do yeah. until I can... Right you know, leave the day job and, you know, walk out on my own. Did you have that number in your head? Yeah, I've done several versions of modeling that out over time. And it, at first I thought, well, I'll underwrite it so that I can very comfortably feel like I'm going to make a hundred dollars a month per door or per unit. And I did my calculations. So, oh, well, I, I need 102 of these. So I, at first my goal was 102. And then I wised up and realized, well, I could just buy better deals and, you know, have a 250,000 or 250 net income per door per month. And so I'll only need 40 of those. And, you know, and then you get a little smarter and then you realize that you can do a combination of holding a few, flipping a few, or maybe wholesaling a few and earn some income from your activities. And then, then you don't really need as many rental properties. And so I've landed on about 40 units and I have about three or four of those that I run as an Airbnb, you know, like what I call midterm rentals so that I can get a little extra juice out of them. But that's, that's kind of like the foundation of my income now. Great. Okay. So back in the day, you had a plan to get out of your day job through real estate investing, yeah, a, a three-year plan, as I recall, but got kicked out of the nest before that could happen. Tell us about what that felt like, you know, why you get kicked out of the nest and how you yeah. regrouped and move forward. Well, you know, sometimes you work for these corporations and, you know, you, I, I think I had 17 years of service. I mean, I was 17 years in, in, in the in the industry and I think nine years with that company. And I was a middle manager, I was a director, had so many employees, whatever. And, you know, sometimes you just get caught in these cold equations of, oh, you've been here too long, your salary is too high, or you live in a different city than where the, your new vice president wants you to live in and you just you just don't count anymore it's like you just get kicked out and so that's what happened through no fault of my own that i'm aware of i was a conscious employee and doing a good job as far as i was aware but just one day it was like you know what we're doing a reduction of forces and 
I've been that guy giving the reduction in forces conversation plenty of times that when, as soon as I saw it happen, I thought, oh, here it comes. And I kind of knew sooner or later, sometime in my career, that would happen. That's just the nature of the business I was in. I was in telecommunications and we were buying companies up left and right and you get bought, they get bought, you know, it's just stuff happens and you just get caught up in, in, in a rift, a reduction in forces. And, it, you know, a lot of times it's not because you did anything wrong. You just got unlucky. The unlucky lottery number. So that happened about a year before you were ready to walk out the door. I mean, what did that feel like? Tell us about the feeling of, you know, your number coming up and whether you really felt prepared for that. It's a good question. And even though I felt like I had done a lot to prepare myself for that, when that dawns on you, what's happening. And basically it's like this, this thing of like, you, you know, this, the, the Russian roulette, almost just like, ah, oh. it's like, here comes my time. It's like, dang it. And I actually had a pretty physical response. Like I was nervous and my heart was beating and I felt like my gut, you know, I got gut punched and I thought and like, settle down. Like, you know, like you're going to be fine. You, you've made a good income for a while. You've been shrewd. You've been working on a way out. And I called my wife afterwards and I thought, Hey honey, it's like, I hate to be the one, you know, to call you and give you bad news today, but I just got laid off. And she said, well, you've been planning for this. It'll work out. I said, well, I'm gonna go to the Starbucks and grab a coffee and I'm just going to some tell some people I probably need to tell. And then unbeknownst to me at the time, my wife called my mom and said, oh my gosh, she just got laid off. <laughs> she was trying to play it cool. Nice. Well, it's you know good that she played it cool to you. So, okay, you're in that position where you're trying to regroup, trying to move forward, but you know ultimately looking at maybe several forks in the road of, are you going to go back yeah. and try to find another right. job in your industry or really stick mm -hmm. with this real estate stuff? What was that, you know, like in the decision-making process to move forward and stick with real estate? That's a good question, Taylor. When I was presented with the scenario where I didn't have my traditional day job anymore, I was laid off and I, I was two years into my three-year plan. It's a very reasonable thing to think, oh, well, did you go back and get a job? And I, I've been working too hard. I no way did I consider going back to any sort of corporate job. I was free. I had been working towards alternative plan and thank goodness I had been because I was in the kind of industry where if I wanted to make the money I was making, I probably would have had to move. And I had set down roots in Little Rock. It's where my wife's family is from in this area. I was a few hours from my parents and our kids were in school and we just, we didn't want to move. And I would have had to look long and hard to find another job in the industry where I could have had a chance to make anywhere close to the kind of money I was making. So my my thought process there was i've got to make this work and i've put up enough things that i'm pretty confident i can but i spent the next year or two really figuring out what it took to be a business owner and actually cut yourself your own w2 check and how to you know manage your money and how to run a business and it's there's a lot to it nice so i love that we're getting into the meat if you will of what uh -huh. it takes to be a successful real estate business owner so let's yeah. dig into some of those tough lessons that you learned. And, you know, I'm sure some of those lessons may have been expensive. Sometimes they are. So what did you learn what it takes to be a successful real estate business owner? Well, when you own a business, whether I think it's real estate or not, you have to run a business like a business and you need to figure out what you are good at as the, you know, the primary, you know, worker of, of, your, of your business when you first start and what you need to delegate. And I was very reluctant to pay a bookkeeper for a long time. 
I hired a couple of bookkeepers for that were for super cheap who weren't very good at it. They were inexperienced. And I finally, finally wised up that I should find and pay a good bookkeeper. I think I pay my current bookkeeper like $55 an hour, which, you know, sometimes I just think what, but she is so accomplished and so efficient that she does what somebody, she does way better work than I've ever seen. And she does it three or four times faster than anybody else I've ever seen. And she actually knows what she's doing and oftentimes gives me um, insights, things that I didn't know were even possible or, or will find mistakes or expenses that I have that she said, are you sure you were still need to be making this payment? Because like, I'm not sure what this is about. So she, I give her permission to, to challenge all my expenses and I have to kind of go back to her and say like, this is why I need this. And this is why I should still be spending this. And that feedback loop is super helpful. And that's just a small example of when you surround yourself with, with excellence, then you have a better chance of running a, a better company. So you want to be, you, you aim to be a leader in your business rather than a dictator that makes all the rules and ultimately oh, absolutely. fails. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Okay. So as far as the specific real estate strategies that you chose to pursue after that point of getting laid off, I mean, I know you switched over to commercial real estate, larger multifamilies, different areas. What did that timeline look like? Because it's very tempting to get shiny object syndrome and bounce around, particularly mm -hmm. when you're desperate to do the best deals that you can and do as much as possible. When I didn't have a day job anymore, I suddenly had a lot more time on my hands. And so I thought, well, what could I do now that I was having trouble doing before that I felt like I could basically speed up my ability to get deals faster? And so what I started doing is I started actively marketing for deals off market and much more aggressively. So I was putting money into marketing, direct mail and that sort of thing to get a direct to seller leads so that I could then work them and cherry pick the best deals for my own portfolio, but then either flip or wholesale deals that maybe didn't fit my buying criteria. And then I also kept an eye on what I could be doing otherwise in parallel to add to my net worth. And so what I was doing also was lending out of my IRA and solo 401k. So I had the ability now to set up a solo 401k. So I rolled money from a, my existing company's 401k to my new personal companies when I was the only employee. So I created a solo 401k. So I started doing loans out of, out of those. And you have to be careful and do those things correctly because you can't double dip and maintain an arm's length transaction. But I realized that I really liked the lending business. And so I as I developed, I realized that I, I want to go up the ladder of the real estate uh, <laughs> curve and, and basically become a lender as soon as I could. So it's interesting that you say that because I've observed the same thing in my area. Folks tend to want to flip for a few years, get a bunch of deals yeah. under their belt, but get sick of it pretty quickly. And yeah. probably 90 to 95% of those flippers just want to get straight into the lending game and, you know, do wraps and other things like sure. that, but get out of the actual, you know, flips and bursts because of frankly, how much work they are pretty It's cool. a lot of work. So yeah. what did you do to make sure that you were making the right moves there? One, and then two, it's great to be investing your IRA and 401k in deals mm -hmm. productively, mm -hmm. whether you're a busy professional or not, but you still can't benefit from those transactions. So ultimately it's not solving your problem of keeping a roof over your head today. 
Right. It doesn't pay your groceries, so you can certainly benefit from it from the returns inside your IRA, but you can't, you know, get you can't pay yourself your your grocery money. So what I was doing is I was flipping and doing wholesaling and, you know, enjoying the cash flow from the rentals that I had. And then I also started a podcast and did some consulting on the side as well. And the more I did that, the more I realized that I really kind of liked that business. And so that may not be for everybody, but for me, it made sense because people would come to me and say, Hey, how are you using your IRA for like, well, and so I can make money off of knowing how to do my IRA by, you know, creating a course on how to set up your, your solo 401k or how to, you know, I ran a little mastermind, which I still do of people who are basically in the same spot where they are transitioning from the day job and figuring out how to set up their books and get their chart of accounts correct and run profit first and that sort of thing. Okay. So you had had the three-year plan, got disrupted part of the way through, had to regroup a little bit and revise some of your strategy. Did mm-hmm. you kind of he'll still hit that same three-year trajectory or did getting let go like delay the three-year effective like financial freedom target if you will oh good question i think that by being let go it actually accelerated it because i had to go and figure it out faster and i had the the extra time in my day to spend a hundred percent on finding deals and so i was able to do pretty well the first year It probably took about six months for me to get kind of back to the same income level that I was used to. And I would just lift off, I supplemented, I guess, my living expenses based on savings that I had. And then, then you start getting, you know, smart about it. You're like, oh, okay. You realize all these huge tax advantages and you actually need to make way less money as a solopreneur than you do as a W-2 because of the inherent tax advantages. So for those out there who find themselves in a similar position to where you were in 2015, just getting Mm -hmm. started, what steps would you consider taking today to get ready for that layoff if it ever comes? Yeah, if and when it ever comes and you want to create an alternative income stream, I really think it's important to understand this concept of owning equity, whether that be in a business you start or real estate that you purchase or stocks that you buy. You want to create some sort of ecosystem, basically, that you own equity and you're not just exchanging your time for money. That's a trap we all fall into is when we exchange our time for money, that's a one-for-one transaction. And we never get much indirect benefit out of once we give up that hour. Whereas when you spend that time and energy, which it takes time and energy to initially learn how to and buy a real estate, for example, you get the potential of residual income for many, many years to come. Now, it may not be just a lot of income. It's not, you know, a few houses, even dozens of houses may not replace your entire income, but it does supplement it and it does create a a net worth effect. And it gives you options in a way that you wouldn't have if you were just exchanging time for money. So I like to think about it as you want to create a one for many transaction of value versus a one-to-one transaction of value, which is what we're doing when we're exchanging an hour of our time for for a wage. Okay, makes sense. So it strikes me that you are, at your core, an action taker. You probably don't spend a lot of time sitting around thinking about doing something. You make a plan, you know, see if it succeeds, if it fails, and you iterate along the way and course correct. 
sounds like you agree with that, but what would separate like an action taker from say these seminar junkies out there that spend a lot of time and money on like education, but don't take action fundamentally? Yeah. The seminar junkie is a real phenomenon and it's a sort of kind of like mental masturbation, right? Like you feel like you're doing something. So that is like, you know, you think it's solving your problem and I probably spent 15 years of my corporate life hoping and wishing and dreaming that I was going to make a significant change in my life. And it wasn't until I had kind of a wake up call moment that realized, made me realize that I was vulnerable to the potential layoff and that I really wasn't as valuable to my company as I thought. And fortunately, I started that two years before I actually was laid off. But that moment for me was like, I was not creating a dream for myself. I was spending all of my time to help somebody else build their dreams instead of spending my time building my own. And I think that's a good kind of way to jumpstart you into, are you doing something to build for you and your family and what's important for you? Because if you're the breadwinner of your family or one of the breadwinners of your family, it's your responsibility to take care of yourself and, you know, cover your mortgage and pay your groceries and make sure your kids can go to college, et cetera. And the corporation does not care one lick about you. They, you, your individual boss probably does. And then maybe the initial people around you, but they're not the ones making the decisions that really matter and will decide if you're going to be there or not. And so when I realized that, that there was no loyalty to this corporation that I really need to figure out how to be loyal to myself, that's when I started to make serious, take serious action. So what did the prior to the layoff and doing those initial deals, what did your schedule look like so that you could devote enough time to the real estate investments and to your family mm -hmm. and to your job? Because we all only have 24 hours in the day, right? Yeah, I was busy for sure. So when I was working a, a corporate job, I was working, you know, probably 50 or 60 hours a week on average. And so what that meant was I would go to work a little bit early, take my kids to school, go to work. I, and I was the kind of job where I was just, I was working constantly, but every once in a while I could take a phone call. Every once in a while I can make a phone call. Every once in a while I could spend five minutes going to sign a document. So that, that was helpful. It wasn't like I was in a factory where I had no access to the internet and I couldn't sign a document. But I still would spend much of my time when I was uh, truly free, which meant I was during my lunch hour or after work or the weekends and I would actually go out to people's houses in my area and I would, you know, look at their walk around and do the thing you do, you know, and I would, you know, have my clipboard and I would, you know, write things down and, and I would go and figure out what I would make an offer for and I'm making an offer. And fortunately, most of those situations do happen on the weekend and on, on after work because they have work too, most of the time. So you can, you can make that work for a while. You're not going to outcompete the guy next to you that has a full-time, that doesn't have a full-time job but you can still get some deals. And that's what I did. And that, that was my schedule. And I spent a lot of time. I, I went to several conferences, seminars to learn more about the business. And that was a conversation with my wife. It's like, this is a sacrifice. You're, you're going to be here with these young kids for a weekend without me. And I'm going to hop a plane at six o'clock on Friday night. I'm going to go to a conference. I'm going to come back uh, Sunday night late. And I'm going to go to work Monday. And I did that probably 10 times in the course of those two or three years. Wow. So a lot of time and energy commitment outside of the W-2, but ultimately in the, in the calendar sense, it wasn't, it's was two years, so not a crazy amount of time, but you still had to stay 
committed, especially in the run up to that first deal. It's the most difficult because you really don't know if it's going to pay off for that first one. Right. That's right. Gives you some faith to, to move on to number two. Great. So mm-hmm. if you had to do it all to, uh, again today, would you focus on the Burr strategy and the cheap properties that you had pursued, or would you pick a different strategy today? So in the market cycle of 2015, I think the Burr method made, made a ton of sense. In the current market cycle, with interest rates a little bit higher and property values increased, it's a lot harder to find the kind of deals I was finding in 2015. Not, not to say you can't, but it's harder. And so I would be looking more right now into the the short-term or mid-term strategy where you either buy or lease a property and then rent it to an Airbnb if you're in the right market for that. I'm really bullish on the, the mid-term rental um, strategy where you're renting 30 days or longer to like a traveling nurse. I have three or four of those myself right now. I have three of those, three units for those right now. And they don't just kill it but they are very little work once you get them set up and they make several times more than what I'm making from a single family. That would be an option I would look into. If I had cash, I would look into syndications. I, that's not something that I knew was even an option for me. I could have been doing that inside of my 401k and IRA. I didn't know it. I kind of missed that opportunity and I had to become a GP first to then figure out, oh, I could have been an LP with my IRA a long time ago. Well, lessons learned, but you learn them eventually. Yep. At least you can share. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Paul, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Great. First one, what is the best deal you've ever done? The The best deal I ever did was the first one because it broke the seal and got me started. There are other deals I've done since that I made more per deal for sure, but it is it, it was what I needed to get that confidence boost so that I had confidence in my competence. Makes a lot of sense. Every best has a worst. Second question, what is the worst deal you've ever done? So one of the problems that I discovered that I was doing, this is after the fact, is that I was starting to grow as a real estate investor and I would I would become, I came very confident in buying houses and I was just like shoot from the hip and I was just like super confident. And I got a little bit overconfident. And I got to the point to where I had people working with me or for me, and I would rely way too much on what they told me without challenging a little bit. And so what I did is I would abdicate responsibility instead of effectively delegate responsibility. And as a result, we bought a property in my hometown here. And I think we bought it for 65 and probably should have bought it for 15. So we were $40,000 higher than we should have. And it took me six months before I finally sold it for 55000 in a funny story, when I went and saw the house for myself, because like things weren't adding up, we were sending people there to do work. I was like, what's going on? I went and saw it for myself for the first time without just pictures. I almost threw up. I was like, oh my gosh, we have way, 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 way over overbought. And I shouldn't have relied on pictures and a friend's opinion of value who hadn't, who didn't have a lot of experience. So that was probably my work. My worst mistake. That that's a tough lesson and not a not a cheap one. Speaking yeah. of lessons, third question, my favorite question here at the end of the show: What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Well, I've already alluded to it a little bit, but it's this idea of owning equity and creating not linear exchanges of value, but parabolic exchanges of value. So you want to think exponentially and think about 
doing something that has that creates value in the marketplace and continuing to, to get better and better at that and grow it continually over time. Because what you're really doing is you're becoming a better version of yourself the whole time and you have this kind of compound effect and you don't realize it, but that, you know, the, the eighth wonder of the world of compounding applies to you and your skills as well. And so when you're thinking about that, learning to think exponentially versus linearly is an incredibly important lesson to learn. And it's how people like Warren Buffett become who they are because they've been doing this for so long and they've been making incremental improvements their entire life. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, where can they get in touch? The best place to find me is on my website, pauldavidthompson.com. It's spelled about the way you'd spell it. How you'd expect those three names to be spelled. I have the curse of a common name, so I'd use all three of them. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, they, when you know what they say about serial killers having three names. Yeah, but... three, three names. <laughs> Let's not put that out in the universe, Taylor. You're going to give people the wrong idea. You're the, you're the exception. You're the exception. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one.